0: Hey, Welcome to the next episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. I'm Charlie. And this is Russell. And we are going to talk about one of my favorite tanks. Um, I don't know a lot about it. Now, Russell does. Uh, We actually went to the Kansas City Liberty Memorial and checked out this tank. A little bit about the French um, Renault tank that we're going to be talking about. This was a World War I tank. But it saw action clear up to the Arab-Israeli War. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And it was. It was used all the yep, way up into the forties. Yeah. We're we're gonna get, get into in that. I will be referring to the French Renault as the FT or the yes, FT light tank. FT for short. Yep. Yeah. We're gonna use that for short. Um, basically, it was a World War One tank that a lot of people don't know about. You know, we talked about the Mark V and all the different World War I tanks, but if I remember right, there was some kind of artillery commander that had uh, was talking to some people and said, "Hey, if we can get a 75 millimeter tank on a vehicle, we're gonna we're gonna win the war." or wh- Whoever I can remember the 75, uh, we all laugh at nowadays with all the wild, ur- uranium-depleted rounds that we have and stuff like that. <laughs> but back then, you know, that that was the gun. That was it. Yeah. Um, Russell, why don't you start us off um, about the artillery commander that was talking to everybody.
1: Yeah, um, going back to some of the earlier history, the artillery commander, uh, Juan Baptiste-Eugène Estillon, uh, was considered one of France's most... Visionary artillery commanders. He was a gifted mathematician, a philosopher, and a lifelong student of ancient Greece. As early as August of 1914, Estion believed a gun-armed, armored vehicle could be decisive in the coming conflict, being World War I. He kind of went on and said, Gentlemen, the victory in this war will belong to which of the two belligerents which will be the first to place a gun of 75-millimeter caliber on a vehicle able to be driven on all terrain. And he told that to a group of French artillery officers in 1914.
0: Well, with all these French students that he had, and the, you know, him being a, basically a teacher to these guys, he's saying once you got you know, on the battlefield... So most of these commanders, if you don't know, were stuck in a trench warfare. And if you look at the FT, it's a two-man vehicle. Very, very small. But the thought was, as soon as the artillery smashed the trench and made an opening, and the big tanks rolled through, that was great. But they were going to need something to get behind the lines, move quick. Almost like a scout tank, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's what what these were
0: pretty much designed for was to well, get out there and scout. Tell us a little bit about who built it or who developed it and the designer and what was basically gonna, his ideas of what the tank was going to do.
1: Yeah, um one of France's most respected car designers, uh Louis Renault. I guess that's how you pronounce it in French. I'm I'm not a
0: uh, Louis Renault.
1: Well, you can call it Renault, but I believe it's pronounced Renault.
0: Well, you know what?
1: That'd be a good
0: <laughs> listener question. <laughs> there you go. One of us is a smart Any nail- of you
1: French-speaking
0: listeners out there, uh, feel free to correct me. I know we have quite a few Canadian, you know, uh, French-Canadians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you know what? I'm going to call him
1: Louis. Okay. Uh, Louis thought that once the trenches and, and shell holes strewn landscapes were crossed, um, there would be an urgent need for a much smaller and lighter tank. Um, one that was able to spread out and attack enemy formations from the rear um, in much the same way that cavalry's done over the centuries. Uh, the new tank uh, actually sported several revolutionary features. Uh, it was the first to carry its armament, either a machine gun or a 37mm cannon, in a turret. They could spin 360 degrees. Nice. I mean, this was the first ever turreted tank
0: that was designed. Yeah, And we could make a ton of jokes about the French, but they did know how to make their tanks there at the beginning. And, uh, in fact, uh, one of the best stories that I have with my friend Russell is he took me all the way up to, was that Leavenworth? No. Where was that? Fort Riley? Fort Riley, Kansas, yeah. Where is that Fort Riley? I forget.
1: It's up in north-central Kansas between Topeka and Salina.
0: Well, he took me all the way up there and says, you have to see this AMX-30, because I'm a big fan of the AMX-30 in the game World of Tanks that we play. And uh, he says, "Oh, all right, there it is. And we get out there and start looking at it. And we noticed that there's these Bradley fighting vehicles Firing live ammunition, and we're out there, and the guy came down from the command tower and said, "Uh, hey, did you guys get enough pictures?" And we're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's great." and He goes, "Okay, get off my firing range." <laughs> so, it they had a machine gun or thirty-seven millimeter. Yes. Okay, what are some of the other you know?
1: The tank was actually controlled uh, by a driver sitting in the front. And the turret was operated by the commander slash gunner um, directly behind him. So the commander was was the gunner also, is my understanding. The engine was located in the rear in a separate compartment, a configuration that almost every tank since that is actually adopted, which is the engine being in the rear um, separately from the, the rest of the tank.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the uh, cannon and the machine gun?
1: Yeah, these were actually armed. The FT's were actually armed with a Puto SA-18 37mm, which converts to about 1.45 inches, short-barreled, low-velocity gun, or a coaxial Hotchkiss 792 millimeter, which was
0: 0. .31 inches uh, machine gun. So, their plan... Was to race behind them, race behind enemy lines yeah. and basically machine gun the enemy from the rear. Or if there was machine gun nests that were pinning infantry troops down, to use the cannon to blow that out?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, where did the Renault FT get its name? What's FT? FT was actually a Renault factory
1: code. Uh the Renault FT tank never really got a name of its own. It was just known as the, the FT. It has no meaning. It was actually the next identification letters available for this project in the Renault nomenclature. Uh, the next project would have been an FU. The next one would have been an FV and etc. cetera. So the FT just stood for, for that particular project under the Renault, uh, their, their company. Wow. The Renault FT was also called the FT-17, um, which was related to the year 1917. But overall, I think they just called them the the FT.
0: So basically, if you see like an FT-17 or FT-18, they're not talking about FT meaning anything. It's just the number was the year?
1: Yeah, on the FT-17, yeah, it was the nomenclature for the year on that.
0: How was the? You said it was a two man crew. How was it?
1: Oh wow! It, it was it was very cramped conditions. I mean, you could you could just imagine. Um, on our Facebook page and the podcast show notes, I am going to uh, actually uh, put down a couple of links to some YouTube video um, that will just show you how cramped this is. I mean. It, it it's just crazy once well, you see the inside of this
0: at the the liberty memorial i looked at it and the front opened up kind of like two doors
1: yes uh-huh
0: um i'm six two and weigh about three fifty yeah. no way yeah that you're gonna f- probably fit in there very easily at all we yeah. looked at we looked at the turret and Russell actually joked and he's like, You couldn't even get one leg in there. And I'm like, yeah. oh, pick on the fat <laughs> pick on the fat kid. Uh,
1: the <laughs> FT, it actually had had a four cylinder air cooled gasoline engine. And it was started either by a rear crank or an internal crank. It was reachable from above. The actual engine was reachable from above and then protected by a large hood. Uh, The gasoline tank was installed between the turret and the engine, which was mounted up high for gravity and very well protected except from above. So, I mean, from the sides, the rear and the front, the the fuel tank would have been protected.
0: Now, you said the tank cooled its engine. How did it do that?
1: Uh, Yeah, the tank actually cooled its engine by sucking in air um, from the front of the tank and expelling the heated air out the back, um, it made it a much more comfortable vehicle to drive, ride, and drive in than the Mark V heavy tanks.
0: Oh, because the Mark V's engine was actually inside?
1: Inside the vehicle, yes.
0: And they're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're lucky because it's you not jump, in there. Huge
1: upgrade on this little light tank, yeah.
0: Well, being a light tank and a lot smaller than the Mark V was it very fast.
1: No, actually, the uh, vehicle was only able to drive as fast as about seven miles an hour. But you've got to realize that, yeah, that was probably a fast speed in 1918 um, when these were being used in World War I. And like we talked about with the Mark V in our very first episode, I mean, and it, it, was, it was speeds to where infantry could keep up with them if need be.
0: Now, being a light tank, did they use it for other stuff like i don't know carrying stuff or anything
1: yeah they had a uh, steel chain on the back of it that was usually suspended on the rear tail um, in order to be used for towing another vehicle if they had another vehicle they had to tow um, or, they could use that chain to, to or tow if something was vehicle. stuck in the mud yeah or yeah probably so yeah i mean we know things probably got stuck in the mud quite often in that time period The FT also had large metal boxes that were suspended on the flanks. Um, It contained shovels, picks, a spanner, wrench, and and several other tools. Well, sometimes additional fuel tanks and spare track links. Um, All those would be carried in those metal boxes on the outside.
0: I, I assume you would need spare track links. It was all metal, wasn't it? Yeah, all the tracks were, oh, were that, metal, yeah. That had to bust up quite a bit. Yeah. Um what kind of radio communications did they have between the turret and the you know the commander and the actual driver?
1: Uh there was actually no means of communication um between the turret operator and the driver. Um like we said before, the driver actually sat in the front of the interior of the vehicle and the turret and gunner operators were actually behind the driver. So like I said there was no communications between them. The well, interior was definitely noisy. I mean with the engine noise and everything else.
0: So how in the world would the commander say turn left, turn right, stop?
1: Well, to believe it or not, I came across an article <laughs> which mentions that the way of the easiest way for them to communicate with each other was a
0: sort of a kicking code. Kicking code?
1: Yeah, the commander would would kick the driver, and that would be used to <laughs> kick him in the back shoulders or even the head, and that was used
0: to transmit steering orders i mean for the driver to which way to steer, so why do I get the feeling if I would be the driver getting kicked all the time? yeah, that would probably be the best best guess for you <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks um what was some of the military plans for this?
1: uh the plans was actually to use the f t light tanks um in swarms with the accompanying infantry to om- to actually overwhelm the enemy defenses for instance burst through the trenches and and then fan out once they' got through the trenches
0: well they how did the French commanders see this?
1: uh they saw the design's promise and actually drew up the plans to produce more than 12,000 of these before the end of 1919 the renault company couldn't make more than a fraction of the 12,000 so other car makers also set up production lines to to help make the numbers that
0: the that the french high command actually wanted so here they need the french army has said we need 12,000 of these things and Renault's like uh we can't make it so they had other french car makers start making these yeah things? other
1: car makers set up the production lines to to help out wow uh, the last months of 1918 saw the kind of open warfare the FTs were designed for as the german defenses crumbled and their armies retreated swiftly through france and belgium so they actually got to use these little FT light tanks to for what they were designed for. And that was to run behind the lines and fan
0: out and cause havoc. What were the Germans thinking of this?
1: Actually, the Germans were uh, being blockaded by the British and they were running out of fuel and food. So they were kind of, you know, crumbling anyway. When some German memoirs in the 1920s um, were asking the question of World War One, um, the tank were always mentioned. The tank was actually always mentioned in those memoirs because of how effective they were. I mean, against the, the Germans at that time.
0: Now, the German commanders have seen, they're like, wow, these are pretty good tanks. Yeah. Did, after the war, did the Germans think about buying any of these?
1: Actually, yeah. By the end of World War I, um the Germans only built about 20 different tanks. And in the time it t- had taken them to build those, the French had produced more than 1,000 of the FT's at that time.
0: That is so weird. We were talking about the M4 Sherman compared to the Jag Tiger, and they had 88 built. We had yeah. 50,000 built. Yeah. So the big uh, German tank, uh, the, we haven't even talked about that. Yeah,
1: that that's going to be on a future uh, podcast, I promise.
0: And they only built 20 of those. And, 20 tanks, yeah. And the French had built 1,000 of those. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How long was the life? Uh,
1: The FT had a long life. Um, It was still a frontline tank more than 20 years later at the start of World War II in both the Polish and French armies. So the little FT French light tank was being used at the start of World War II by both the Polish and French. And by this time, however, it was considered slow and offered poor protection from anti-tank weapons that had come out. I mean, at the beginning of World War II.
0: Now, I know for a fact the Germans hated to waste waste vehicles and stuff like that. After they captured France, did they use the FT's for anything?
1: Actually, yes, they did. Um, Hundreds of the FT's were committed to battle when the Germans invaded France in May of 1940. But even afterwards, the Germans found a use for them. I mean, they patrolled occupied Europe protecting supplies, guarding airfields, and supporting police. So, yeah, the Germans, the ones that they had their hands on, they, they used those in supporting roles in the back.
0: So did they actually use them, like, when the Allies came into Normandy? or Yeah,
1: when the Allies invaded Normandy in June of 1944, they encountered FTs in German markings. I mean, thrown into the front line in desperation. So the Germans were actually used them during the Normandy invasion, yes. And the last examples used in combat were in the Arab-Israeli War of 1948.
0: That's where I'd heard, that's what I knew, yeah. that they'd use that. Talk about using desperation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, The FT, did it have just German and French, or did it reach out worldwide? I know you said Polish there for a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah, the FT... Uh, light tank had an influence worldwide. They were the very first US, Soviet and Italian tanks. The US used them, the Soviets used them, the Italians used them. If they didn't actually use the French Renault FT, then they made a pretty close copy of that particular tank to use for their cells. But yeah, I know for a fact that the U.S. did use the French FT's um, in World War One. It actually, like I said before, the little FT light, I mean, it had a profound mark on later developments in, in pretty much all tanks, even ones we see today.
0: Now, where can you see these? Like if uh, our listeners in in the U.K. wanted to see one.
1: You can travel to a farm in the middle of Kent in southern England. They've got a little workshop there where you can actually see two of the Renault FT's and one of those actually being fully restored to being in running condition. And that's just been recently. And that's the first time it's probably ran in nearly 100 years on this particular FT that, they, that they've restored.
0: Now, um, you were telling me about uh, a South African farmer uh, named Mike Gibb. What's his story with the FT?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, he's this FT, the the running restored FT in uh, southern England. It's actually owned by this this particular South African farmer, Mr. Gibb. Uh, he was a former soldier who had a fascination with armored vehicles. Um, he set up a foundation in 1977 to restore old armored vehicles to working condition. And this particular FT that he had restored is the oldest tank that they brought back to life
0: well what are some things that they discovered working on it
1: actually the more they worked on the ft when they were restoring it the more they actually discovered heat treating the latches at the front of the tank which allowed the driver to get in and out of um with a little bit of gymnastics yeah i could um, get in it yeah heat treating those uh, latches they brought out identification marks um, that had actually been written in chalk when the tank was being built. Wow. And from that those chalk marks, they could actually determine that it was made in the Renault factory in June of 1918. Wow. And one of the engineers who put the FT back together stated that with two levers for turning left and right, a throttle, a clutch, and a brake,
0: it's basically a simple thing to drive. So there's really not that much to it. Now, for here in the u s if I wanted to see one running around, you know actual driving and stuff, can I go anywhere to see that? uh, yes, you can
1: um now that you mention that, you can go to the museum of the american g i in college Station, Texas.
0: Now, we've been there we
1: have been there, we, but we, unfortunately, oh, yeah, we actually missed it um they were probably in the in the process of restoring it to operable condition when we were down there yeah it's they have one now that is restored to operable conditions and it's the only one known like it in the united states that that they can actually get out and drive around
0: now if we have any listeners down in college station texas and you want to send us some video we would appreciate that yes Uh, tell me a little about about the western front in 1918 and the ft of course Yeah, Um,
1: the World War I uh, French Renault FT tank first appeared on the Western Front in 1918. It had a crew of two, measured about 13 feet long, and weighed about six and a half ton. Tank's 35 horsepower engine moved it along at a top speed of about six mile an hour.
0: 35 horse? 35 horsepower engine. I I think my lawn mower has that (laughs) yeah some of your bigger lawnmowers has probably got at least that yes wow yeah what were some of the factory options
1: uh it had one turret one turret was actually fashioned to accommodate a 37 millimeter gun while they also had another one that was actually fashioned for a machine gun i mean you could place either one on any of the ft tanks i'm pretty sure The American army placed about 227 of these tanks in the field, the French Renaults. And the American Renaults were differed, they actually differed distinctly from those commanded by the French. The American version sported an octagonal turret as opposed to a circular one and steel wheels uh, as opposed to the French army's preferred wood
0: wheels. No, wait a minute. Yes, I know. <laughs> wood, w- wood wheels. Yes. Okay, maybe if you're getting shot <laughs> yeah. at, maybe the steel wheels would be a better, better uh, idea.
1: Yes, it, it's really interesting. Uh, I do want to point out that I am going to uh, put a couple of links to some YouTube videos on the operational uh, French Renault FT that's in College Station, Texas. And on that particular tank that they refurbished, you will see the actual wood wheels on it.
0: Put the wood wheels.
1: With the wood wheels. Yes. Wow,
0: that's why I said if any of our listeners are down there, we would love to, you know, definitely see your videos, and uh, we we would appreciate. It. But we also learned about one of my faves and one of uh, Russell's favorites, uh, commanders uh, George Patton. Um, char George Patton. Uh, Actually, was he in charge of a brigade?
1: Yeah, he set up the United States' first tank school, and he commanded a brigade of, of FT light tanks at the Battle of
0: St. Michael in September of 1918. Wow. Now, I, from what I understand, he was actually wounded
1: Yes, believe it or not. And this is the first I'd ever heard of this being wounded in one of these these FT light tanks. But yeah, later that month, September 1918, um, his FT supported U.S. forces in the
0: Meuse Argonne, um, where he was wounded in the leg. You know, here's a guy that you want to be your commander if you're a tanker that's actually been in a tank. That was worse than yours and got shot and then came back for more. Yeah. Um, Is there any accounts, you know, where people were actually FT drivers or anything? Yeah, um,
1: it's kind of interesting. I I found in this one article that that describes a pretty neat deal uh, about an individual that was actually a tanker in one of these little FT's. Um, After May 31st of 1918, um, Capitan Aubert, described the action near Hamill. He goes on to say, We were subjected to heavy machine gun fire, directed particularly against the slits and portholes. The hammer bullets against the armor, accompanied by flash, showed us the general direction of the fire. Many bullets struck the gun shield and made traversing difficult. But we swung the turret, and there was the machine gun, not more than 50 yards away. It took five
0: rounds to put it out, and the tracks
1: completed the work.
0: So what they're talking about is they found a machine gun nest. They're firing their 37-millimeter cannon. And, you know, five rounds just to kill everybody. And then they ran over it and crushed yeah, it.
1: and then they crushed them, yeah. I also found it interesting in this actual uh, action described here that uh, the enemy would direct their machine gun fire against the slits and portholes well you've got to realize that these were just slits in the tank that the enemy could usually see and they would try to get their their machine gun fire to in those slits to to help take out the so where
0: where the driver was looking out and, and the gunner commander yeah they're there are machine gun in those and there's no glass or anything. Yeah,
1: there's no glass or nothing. They were just slits in the in the slide of the tank in the no. side of the tank to look
0: out of. And Patton got hit in the leg, so it must have <laughs> yeah. you know something was bouncing around yeah. inside that tank. Yeah. The
1: actual Liberty Memorial uh World War One museums, uh Renault FT Light tank is numbered eight sixty seven. And it actually shows off its gaping scar, um, which was left by a German 77-millimeter artillery shell. Um, It also left several shrapnel balls and shards in the vehicle's interior when they discovered the tank.
0: Well, I saw the huge crack or the scar you're talking about. And that came from a 70 And and they found sharpened balls and shards. And metal shrapnel and yeah, everything. Yeah, um, I bet that crew had a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the damage to the rear of the tank.
1: Yeah, uh, the rear of the tank was damaged in, in the ducktail of the vehicle. Um, and let me describe to you what the ducktail is. Um, it actually helped the tank um, get across trenches um, a lot better. And it was just a little tail on the end of it that could be removed if they needed to remove it. Um, it, it's kind of stuck out a little bit further. Um, but this particular tank in the museum, um, the rear duct tail, um, was actually damaged enough and I don't even believe the original one was on the tank anymore. Um, it was probably completely blown off when it was struck by that 77 millimeter artillery shell.
0: Wow. Um, there's just so much in it interesting information if you get up close to Kansas City you need to swing by the Liberty Moral and everybody's like well the town tank sounds great but they also have a bunch of artillery pieces Um, tell us about some of the German stuff
1: yeah um, once the Renault FT was obsolete when the next World War uh, with Germany began in 1940 France still had more than 500 of these on their line I mean even the German Nazi army used them as radio tanks they would they would have them out to, to help with their
0: radio traffic. So, so even though they're outdated and they won't stand up against the Panzer tanks and stuff like that, Germans are still like, listen, we've got these, we've got to use them. We'll use them as command radio tanks. Yeah. So they're using all right. That that's pretty ingenious.
1: According to museum research, um, their French uh, Renault FT light tank was recovered by the U.S. 2nd Battalion Air Service Mechanics. And you might ask, well, why would an Air Service Mechanic Battalion be salvaging a tank? Well, they were also used um, to repair and salvage tanks instead of airplanes. Because you got to realize that there probably wasn't a lot of these FT lights on the lines to be salvaged
0: or repaired at the time. So if it broke down, you had to call a Air Force mechanic. Yeah, called in the Air Force to... Boy, I I know some of our listeners aren't going to like that. Like, hey, wait a minute. We don't need the Air Force to come save us. But uh, the people in the Air Force, you know, got to be commended. You know, we've talked about how the Air Force was destroying German tanks and stuff like that and helping out the lesser M4s against all sorts of heavy German tanks and stuff like that.
1: Um, Actually, the reason the unusable tank um, was shipped to the United States after after it was damaged in, in the war. Um, the reason it was shipped to the United States was for a July of 1919 bond drive. The tank uh, changed hands several times between Western car museums and collectors uh, until the Hayes Autopallic Collection sold it to the Kansas City Museum in 2007. And the Kansas City World War One Museums actually had had that tank since 2007. The museum actually received the tank um with with its original worn camouflage and and actually leaned a little bit to one side or the other when they got it and that's exactly the way they re- received the tank. The only thing that they did not get with the tank was the authentic uh picks and shovels that's on the holes today. Um though they found those somewhere else and and put those on there.
0: No, I didn't know that the, the shovel and everything that's on there wasn't yeah. or the original. All yeah. right, good info to have.
1: In, in an article that I read, um, the museum curator explained that in examining their treasured relic, they actually found a chunk of mud, French soil, um, still stuck to the to the light tank when they received it. After all that time and all that movement, the the mud was still stuck to it.
0: That's amazing.
1: And can and actually, to add on to that, uh, in the mud um, was something also they found that the tank had rolled over, uh, a cartridge from those days um, when the ground shook and, and the brave men fell and in the barbed wire.
0: So they actually found a they found, they found a, a cartridge, cartridge. old cartridge out of a rifle or something. Yeah,
1: that was encased in all that mud that they'd found.
0: Well, can you give us some you know basically just the FT specifications?
1: Uh yeah, um I've mentioned a few of them a little bit earlier. It came in at about sixteen foot, five inches long, five foot nine inches wide, and about seven foot high. So, so yeah, you're right. At about six foot two, you're probably not gonna yeah. definitely stand up in it. <laughs>
0: I I can put my arm on it. <laughs> yeah.
1: The tank, uh, total weight, battle ready tank, uh, comes in at about seven point two tons.
0: Oh, well, I can bench that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> had a crew of two, and we mentioned that, the commander slash gunner and the driver. And it had the Renault, Renault four-cylinder petrol gasoline 39-horsepower engine.
0: Now, how fast are we talking?
1: We are talking a whopping 4.66
0: miles per hour that's wide open that's oh. wide open man uh but it probably had great gas mileage what kind of uh, range are we talking about
1: we're talking about 40 and a half miles was its range full tank of gas ideal conditions
0: so basically what my lawn tractor can do yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah
1: so all you got to do now is mount a turret to the top of your your uh mower and now, have about the same thing.
0: Now, we talked about the guns, pretty heavy. What kind of armor are we talking about?
1: Yeah, the armor, 22-millimeter um, armor, about .87 inches all the way around. That's all the armor it had. No, that's not a lot. No, it's that, not between you and the machine gun fire. How, not a lot at all.
0: Are we, are we talking about an inch? Yeah. Or less than an inch? Less than an inch, yeah. No wonder Patton got hit. Yeah, exactly. Um, how many total did France produce.
1: France produced about 3,700 of these light tanks.
0: Well, you know, I always ask you, uh, is there any, like, history or of the actual tankers that drove these? You know, did you find anything this week on any, like, actual tankers or life in a tanker? Yes,
1: I did, and I usually try to make it a point to, to search out some of this very interesting history of the people that uh, spent time in these tanks. I think it brings it to heart a little more on some of the things that they dealt with. and Yeah, it makes the, the story a little more more down-to-earth and, and what they actually went through. Um, this, this particular diary that I found, um, kind of a week-long diary, it was reprinted um, from a London newspaper in October of 1916. I don't know exactly if this particular tanker that kept this diary was in a French Renault FT or not. Or I would imagine it would have had to have been back in that, at that point in time. I mean,
0: Uh, maybe the Mark one because Mark one. Yeah. yeah. In 1916. Yeah. Because you were telling us that it came out FT 17. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There you go. So yeah, you're right. It's probably one of the Mark, the Mark series heavy tanks.
0: All right. But I love tanker life. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me how, um, he
1: starts out with, with Monday, uh, in his diary, starts out with Monday, and he claims that he he's out for the first time. It was a strange sensation, um, worse than being in a submarine. Suddenly there was a terrific lurch. We were astride an enemy trench, and give them hell was the order. Our guns raked the trenches right and left. Um, the Huns, Um, Like I said, I don't know if I mentioned this, this is actually a week in the life of an Australian tanker, so they've got different words for for the enemy. Anyway, our guns raked the trenches right to left. The Huns were shot down in bunches like scared rabbits. The experience was not altogether pleasant. Tank sickness is as bad as seasickness.
0: Now, when he's talking about tank sickness, isn't it the carbon monoxide and stuff like that from the engine inside? Oh,
1: yeah. Just the rocking back and forth and just up and down and through the trenches. And, yeah, it's... So, basically,
0: no shock absorbers. Yeah, exactly. No shocks. All right. Let's go to the next. Yeah,
1: on Tuesday, um, the next day, claims off for another cruise, peppering begin at once. Uh, The silly blighters thought they could rush the tank like a fort. Speaking of the the German uh, enemy, um, they were devilish plucky chaps for all their madness. Then the blessed old tub gave a sudden jerk. I thought it was goodbye to earth, but it was only some Hun dead and wounded whom we had skidded into.
0: Whoa! Yeah. So here he comes. Oh, and if you don't know what peppering is, that is uh, when you're shooting small caliber. Uh, weapons at like steel plate it'll do a peppering it'll actually bust up and basically you're getting a peppering effect and, and it's not being going through or anything like that so he's actually skidding onto the dead oh that's a yeah, little rough that's
1: pretty pretty ghoulish
0: well you can tell by the language it's yeah. australian oh yeah god bless australia though
1: yeah uh, going on into the diary, um, it claims <laughs> really no entries on Wednesday, Thursday. He just had similar experiences on Wednesday and Thursday. So, but on Friday, um, the take that actually tank that he was in took about 200 prisoners and killed or wounded another 200, and that's all he had for Friday's entry.
0: So you know he's just making this little entry. Oh yeah, we killed about 200 and captured about 200. These are 200 guys left after the 200 have been tore apart yeah they just throw up their hands and like <laughs> we're done <laughs> we're we're gonna give up to the tank yeah we're done
1: uh saturday's entry uh, we moved on before breakfast it was a rare good sport uh we reached the enemy's trenches and found that the enemy had prepared an ambush for the Yorkshiremen advancing to the attack we waddled into the ambush and never saw f- men so frightened uh the few chaps stayed behind and tried to stop us with their machine guns, but we smashed them to bits. The Yorkshiremen picked up the machine guns
0: so they're they're the Germans are laying down machine gun fire uh these basically u k troops yorkshiremen yeah in yorkshire's uh one of the u k provinces i believe yeah so these guys are getting peppered. And the tank comes up, kills all the Germans, and and then they pick up their machine pick guns. Pick up their machine guns, And yeah. turn it around on the Germans. Yeah. Wow, yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, going on to the last day here on Sunday. Uh, good work frightening the Huns. We continue to ladle out death as one might vamp out music from a hurdy-gurdy. I have no idea what a hurdy-gurdy is, but I imagine it was we, this quite is, the party or something. Uh, but.
0: We need... Your help. <laughs> yeah. If you know any Australian
1: it, folks out there that knows what a hurdy gurdy is, yep. please let us know. Fritz got fits and had no fight left. So, in other words, the the fight must have been all out of the Germans on this particular day. And he goes on saying, "This finished an exciting week. One wants a good rest after a spell in a tank."
0: Well, yeah, I understand what he's saying now. He goes. We spent all week machine gunning people, capturing people, and they had no defense. And uh, after getting tank sick, I think I'm just going to lay down for a while. Yep, exactly. That makes total sense. That makes sense, yep. Well, Russell, are we coming close to the end of the podcast today?
1: Yeah, we are. Uh, And as like always, I'm going to put out there that if you've got any comments, any photographs that you want to share, any ideas for any future podcasts, you can always reach us at 2tankers and a cat at gmail.com, T W O T A N K E R S and Cat at Gmail.com. Um, you can get to the podcast directly, uh, two com, Repeating two tankers a n d c a t dot podbean.com. You can also use any of your favorite apps that you enjoy listening to podcasts on. You can find us through iTunes now. You can find us through the Google Play podcast store. Um, We are pretty much out there on all these uh, platforms now. And it shouldn't be any problem at all for you to find us. We also put a link on our Facebook page. Um, You can find our Facebook page by searching for Two Tankers and Cat on Facebook. Um once you get on there you'll have all the youtube links the youtube that. links pictures and everything we put out there that goes along with our podcast each week
0: and we're still requesting that our listeners send us you know pictures from their old albums and stuff like that i'd like to cut in that if you've been listening and you can hear some noises in the back or me kind of like wincing that's because lightning is sitting here today and been a total pest and bit me like three times.
1: Yeah. Oh wow. She is. She has been a, a squirrel tonight.
0: Yeah. Uh, she is the type of cat. If you're ignoring her and you're like, go over here, go over here, be real quiet. No, she'll bite you. Yeah. She'll, she'll jump on you. Yeah. But we're gonna try to get some more video. Of oh lightning yeah. We'll the get some,
1: we'll get some video out on our YouTube site and and make sure you follow us on YouTube and yeah.
0: Well, we're getting ready to close out. Russ, you got anything to say?
1: Yeah. um, Keep on a tanking, and for this episode, this is Russ and this is Charlie.